On this edition of the Riyabu podcast, we're going to round out the discussion that we've had over the last two weeks, which is to survive and prosper the COVID-19 crisis. Last week, we covered such thorny issues as right-sizing your organization and uh, cutting your operating expenditure. This week, we've been covering the look forward and how to move beyond the crisis once it hopefully, <laughs> inevitably, does come to a close. Uh, and so, Simon Littlewood joins me again to finish off a discussion with, I guess, a much more longer-term approach. Because, Simon, earlier in the week, we talked about hiring strategically and making acquisitions. Today, you're talking about a thing called the balanced scorecard. What is it, and why is it of use? Okay, so uh, what it is, is it's a way of determining a set of criteria on which you measure overall customer performance, and then sharing those measures across every function in the company. And I do mean every function. It doesn't mean that the specific measures and the specific number in terms of objectives are shared by everybody. It means that everyone can see how they're contributing to that overall objective. And the reason I introduced it at this point is, first of all, for the very simple reason that it's a great way of getting much more focus and energy in your organization as a whole. And secondly, you should have woken up to the possibilities of doing things this way as a result of the dramatic changes you've had to go through to survive COVID. By that, I mean focusing on working capital, focusing on customer intimacy, as we've advised, focusing on supplier intimacy um, and, 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 and um, things like building the team and, uh, and creating skills and all those kinds of things. So, um, so it's a way of getting everyone measured and aware of a number of key things that they need to do well in order to help the business in its objectives of delivering value to shareholders. So what sort of things go into the balanced scorecard? Well, they're all things. It's quite interesting, really. But, but, but one of the ways to, to do it is uh, it, because no single measure can provide a clear performance target, we're moving away from things like simple profitability. And we're including a lot of people in this that previously weren't included in it. So we might ask questions like, how do customers see us on a continuing basis? Because we discovered during the crisis that whether or not we were able to understand needs and keep them close to us it's an existential issue when it comes to a crisis and we come up with some processes for getting closer to customers we can poll customers and we can measure how effective those processes of engagement are so we contact major customers early on in the cycle we elicit from them a view of how we're doing and whether there are specific issues that need to be corrected and the extent to which we come together as an organization to address those issues, because these are issues that cross all functions, determines how customers see us. And we can all be measured on our responsiveness to those measures, whether in sales, senior management, customer service, where we are. So that would be one example, a, a set of measures, if you like, of responsiveness. Yeah. Does it include things like employee engagement, employee satisfaction, customer um, satisfaction? Service? Well, you, you don't get me started. You know how I feel about that. I think that the objective of an organization is firstly to make money and secondly that people will enjoy being stretched there's a great danger in overstressing our employee satisfaction because that satisfaction tends to be a kind of momentary thing whereas right. career satisfaction is, is is a longer term thing where i build skills and i feel i'm doing better and it it, it involves periods of worry and challenge Okay, but, so, but you did say that the balanced scorecard isn't just about the financials. So what other metrics can you actually include well, we, so that people feel that they're judged properly? Yes, I mean, so, so, so we talked about how customers see us. I think the other thing is in innovation and learning uh, is tremendously important. You know, we've talked about 
how to use the downturn to, to, figure, to figure out who we can bring on in terms of their skills. We've talked about using new automation, for example, to enable us to do things better and to collect better data. Having, having asked every function during the downturn, if you recall, we had this conversation to point applications that they can potentially use to reduce costs and improve effectiveness, we can make that part of our culture. So we can then have a measure of whether people or not come up with ideas, uh, whether they do courses and learn and those kinds of things. So we've got how do our customers see us? How much development is there within our people in terms of knowledge and learning? Um, so those are two things. Yeah. Um, there is once again, these are measurables, which are not necessarily financial and therefore open to interpretation. Aren't they? Uh, well, no, I think this is, this is a very important thing here. And it's the difference between measuring outcomes and measuring behavior. I'm a great believer in the assertion that if you do more of the right thing, you'll end up with better results than your competitors, whether the market goes up or goes down. So a lot of these things are, we need to continue to work on customer service, although we may not be able to directly correlate how well we do with our customers to a particular financial metric. In the long term, I would argue that we can, um, but you can't do it on a monthly basis, generally. Um, can we continue to improve and create value? So, so, so innovate and learn. Again, harder to measure a very direct impact, but there's no, uh, there's no question that having a motivated, skilled team that is constantly engaged in learning more is extremely good for the future success of the organization and, and for productivity and morale, yeah. Um, so just to take this one example then in terms of training, how do you measure that behavior? So is, you're measuring, for example, the, the number the of is, hours spent training? Or the behavior is, is doing the training and demonstrating that you've understood it and uh, implemented it in your day-to-day -day life. So, so for training, we use, we use something called outcome-based training. Uh, the, the general, you, you raise training again, another, another vexed area because 80% from based training uh, degrades in, in less than three months. And I have that data if you're interested in it. How do you avoid that? You, you, you avoid that by relating training to specific business situations right from the beginning and by weaving the training into very specific measurable changes in the way people behave within the organization. So this is going to be doing more of one thing and less of another thing, uh, in essence. Um, and that's what you're tracking. These are, these are, these are activity-based measures that in the long run lead to improved learning, improved effectiveness and so on and so forth. But they, they, they are not directly, they cannot be directly correlated with a financial outcome. Yeah. A lot so of the, how many of these, how many of these data points then do you collect for a, you know, useful balanced scorecard? Well, you start off with as few as possible because there's a big danger here that, you know, I have, I have seen large multinationals that have whole buildings full of people trying to think of new things to measure. Um, I find that, you know, and uh, they're always the first ones that I, uh, that I give green, you know, give the pink slip to, but anyway. Uh, so um, we, need, we need to understand how I can see us because we've discovered that that's mission critical. We need to create a culture of improvement and creativity, but we shouldn't forget the financial perspective. So, so I, could, I could turn that as how do we look to investors? How do we look to shareholders? But the difference between financial perspective now and before is that the financial perspective includes measures of uh, margin, of working capital effectiveness, um, as well as um, actual value created. And even if you have, and this is, the, this is the, the devil is in the detail, because even if you have similar measures for different functions, the, the, the percentage allocated to individual functions can vary. The idea is not that everyone 
is measured on the same thing because clearly I can influence some things more than I can influence other things based on where I sit. The point is that we all have broadly a similar set of objectives and the balance of what we're measured on will be different based on based on the function that we're in. But because we all have a common set of measures, we all have to have a common understanding of what's important in terms of what we do. That's a balanced scorecard. Yep. And do you then get the your, your staff's input into how much of a percentage should apply to them based on their role? Or do you kind of just uh, enforce this based on what you or your consultant tell you to do? I think it's very... <laughs> I think it's very important that this is a consultative process. And I think the important thing to remember is that once you have this in place, the level of importance as measured in the percentage allocated to a particular measure will vary depending on where you are in the market. So if you have, for example, cost optimization as a measure, so I'm a functional chief and I've got a team of managers that are working for me, and we are tasked with ensuring that costs as a percentage of activity do not go up above a certain level or even that they come down, if suddenly we need to reduce costs in a dramatic way, such as we did recently, the percentage allocated to that measure as, as a percentage of our overall measures would go up. We would be measured more on the success of that than we would be maybe on other things. The great thing about this is once you've got the right measures in place, you can calibrate them based on where you find yourself. Yeah. Finally, then you did mention uh, to keep it as simple as possible. Where do you start if you've never tackled this before? What, what should maybe the two or three key measures be and, and how do you even begin to draft such a document? Yeah, let's say that if you're an SME and you, 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 know, you really don't have the resources to get into this in a big way, the key things are going to be the responsiveness of the organization to customer issues. So there's a, there's a measure of responsiveness. How early do we identify? How early do we contact customers? How quickly do we identify issues? And how quickly do we, do we respond to them? And how quickly do we respond should be a cross-functional metric because that involves everybody. If a customer has an issue with their good or their product or their service, chances are that there will be input needed from production, from purchasing, from customer service, from finance, from a range of areas to deal with that issue. And we should all be held to account for the responsiveness that we show when it comes to those issues because otherwise we're letting we're letting people down in other functions yeah um you know i'm, I'm tinged with some nostalgia simon that this is the last of our podcasts in the series. <laughs> yeah well you know the the businesses that do the right things in essence don't change and it was funny to me because when this crisis hit you and i talked about the need to give advice to companies on what they should do and a very senior man who i respect enormously when i explained to him what the five things were that you need to do to survive and what the further five things are that you need to do to thrive he looked at me sort of sideways a bit and said but you know really experienced ceos know about this and i said well in essence um i've made a career as a, a business advisor out of taking things that senior ceos are perfectly well aware of but do not exist within their organizations in any measurable form particularly in asia where you have vast differences in terms of skills and cultures, it's making things happen quickly and in a way that is not disruptive or damaging to your overall success as a company. That's really the challenge. It's the change part of this that's difficult. So acknowledge what you need to do, act quickly, and then figure out the right way to do it so that you come out at the end of it with a different culture, with a will to win, and with some measurable gains in terms of new customers, new markets, and the engagement and effectiveness of your employees. Yeah. Yes, because knowing the information or knowing what to do isn't enough, is it? 
Well, that's one of the great myths of modern time. You know, uh, as I always say, when people say, oh, we shouldn't share this with a client because it's, it's super. I say, well, everything that anyone ever says in business can be found on the shelves of a library somewhere. Doesn't mean that anyone knows how to do it. That's a different discussion. And hopefully it's a discussion that we will continue to have with you, our listeners. And uh, we are very happy to have that either through the comment section of this podcast or you can uh, go on our website, our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, our Instagram feed, our YouTube channel, whichever channel you prefer, or maybe the old trusty email or telephone service at riabu.com. Simon, see you in the next podcast. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure what we're going to be tackling yet, but I'm sure we'll think of something. Thank you, Mark. Yes.